So you can turn to Matthew chapter 17 in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at um, verses 22 to 27 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones by the door, and you're welcome to take them as a gift. Uh, uh, we want you to have it. We want you to have God's Word in your hands, and so uh, please take that. And if, if you want like a nicer one, go down to the resource room, and you can tell them that I said you can trade it in on a, on a nicer one. Um, I want you to have a Bible, so, so take one. Um, we're going to begin in verse 22, and here's what it says. It says, They were gathering in Galilee, and Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. I just want to pause here for, for a moment. Um, in context, if you've been following along in this sermon series, or even if not, if you know where we're at in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus has just taken three of his closest disciples up onto a mountaintop, and he has shown them who he really is. He's had this moment called the transfiguration where he, uh, he was shining. His face was bright like the sun. And they, they said, hey, we thought we knew who you were, Jesus, but now we really see. Like, you're, you're the son of God. You have power. You have a glory. You have authority. And so they're in this amazing moment, a literal mountaintop experience. And then they come down off the mountain into chaos. They find that there's this, this uh, young boy who's demon-possessed, and the father had brought him to the disciples, and the disciples weren't able to cast out the demon. They, they did everything they knew how to do, and they were unable to do anything for him. And Jesus comes and says, hey, faithless and twisted generation, what, how long must I endure? And so he casts the demon out. He does what nobody else can do. And once again, they're left in awe of like, wow, Jesus, you are amazing. And then he turns to them, and he says, hey, I want you to know that I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be betrayed uh, to people who are going to kill me. But then on the third day, I'm going to raise again. But, but it's almost like as if before he got to the part about on the third day, I'm going to raise again, he, the, his disciples just heard, hey, I'm going to be handed over and betrayed, and they're going to kill me. And they're like, no, Jesus, no, right? Like they're, they're distressed. They're, 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 and they didn't listen to the last part of what he was saying. And Scripture really shows us that they, they really didn't grab a hold of what he was saying until well after the resurrection, right? Like, as he was crucified, they were in distress. After the crucifixion, they were in distress. Three days later, they're meeting in the upper room. Jesus appears to them. They're still in distress. They're like, wait, we don't get it. And he's like, man, I told you like 50 times <laughs> I was going to die. And then on the third day, I was going to raise. But Thomas is like, well, I heard he appeared to those guys. But he, until I see him for myself, I'm not going to believe, right? Like, they remained in this period of distress until Jesus showed them beyond a shadow of doubt who he was. And, and we laugh at that, but I think a lot of times part of the problem in our life is when we experience distress, it's because we're not looking at our life as part of the whole story that exists in our life. If you, if you place your faith in Jesus, if you're trusting in him for your salvation and your eternity, then your story ends, and they went to live with Jesus forever <laughs> in joy and, and, and complete happiness, right? That's the ending of, of all of our stories. But so many times we look at our story and we see, uh, you know, in this, and then I got the news from the doctor. And then I lost my job. And then they betrayed me. And we tend to think that that's the end of the story. We think that that's all it is. And so we live in that distress of that moment. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't live in the distress of the moment. See your story from start to finish. Know where your story ends. And that'll give you some of the strength that you need to get through the tough spots. And listen, they were tough spots. It, it was not like pointless distress, right? Like my kids will freak out because a balloon popped, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not something to get distressed over. 
Jesus being crucified on the cross, that's something we get distressed over. Getting a bad report from a doctor or losing your job or having financial issues, those are serious things. And, and we see that even Jesus in the garden was distressed to the point of sweating drops of blood and crying out in agony to the Father. But ultimately he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then we're told that, that he was comforted and he was encouraged and he was strengthened and he set his face to the cross and he didn't look back. Maybe that's what God wants to do in you this morning. Maybe you're going through a season of distress and he just wants you to hear this morning, hey, this isn't the end. I'm not going to leave you in the cul-de-sac of distress. This is just a, this is just a little off-ramp and you're getting right back on and you're going to go on to the end of your story which ends with you and me together forever, for eternity. That's it. Some of you could get up and walk out right now, actually, if you want to. That's probably the best I'm going to get. Um, but, but that actually isn't even tied into the main point this morning. That's just a bonus sermon. Um, picking up in verse 24, it says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter. And they said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? Well, he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? <laughs> Don't you love that? Like, you know, like Peter's like, yeah, sure, he pays the tax. And, you know, he like walked in the door of the house and just felt Jesus' laser beam eyes like on him like, uh-oh, what did I do? <laughs> like, and, uh, and you notice like just a couple of verses ago, he called him Peter. He said, you are Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. But now he walks in the door. He's like, hey, Simon, <laughs> what do you think, right? What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toller tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take a, the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I think that Jesus had something really personal that he wanted to say to Peter in this moment, that there's a very, we're, we're kind of eavesdropping in on a very personal interaction between Jesus and Peter. And so I want us to look this morning between the lens of why did he, why did he say this to Peter? Why is Peter highlighted in this, in this moment in Scripture? And also because it's recorded in Scripture, we know that there's also a message in there for you and I, that, that there's something Jesus wants to tell us, and there's something he wanted to tell Peter. And by looking at what he was telling Peter, we can receive something for ourselves as well. And so there's three things I want to look at. Uh, the first one that I think Jesus is trying to tell Peter here is he's saying, don't be a people pleaser or an intentional offender. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us fall into one of those two, two categories pretty easily, right? <laughs> like a lot of our actions are either dominated by people pleasing, trying to make people like us, or just walking into a room and being like, I'm going to blow this whole thing up. <laughs> I'm not, I don't care what anybody thinks with me by the time this night is over, right? And, and here's a little secret. The people that walk in that way, um, they want people to like them too, but they've been burnt in the past. And so they're saying, like, rather than give you a chance, I'm not going to expose myself and, and try and pursue your acceptance and have you reject me. Before you even get to that, I'm going to reject you up front, right? I'm just going to offend you right away so, so I don't make myself vulnerable. And so... Uh, so all of us struggle in one way or another with, with these things. And I think Jesus saw this uniquely in Peter. He saw that Peter had a, had a propensity towards this, that, that, that this was something that Peter was going to have to work through, honestly, for the rest of his life. And we see this in Scripture, right? What happens? Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, if you go to the cross, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, unto death I am with you. But when they arrest Jesus and they take him, 
and they're interrogating him. Peter sneaks into the courtyard by the fire, and, and uh, a servant girl says, hey, weren't, weren't you one of Jesus' followers? He's like, no, no, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And somebody else says, yeah, listen to your accent. You're definitely, you're one of Jesus' followers. He's like, nope, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Like he was worried about what they would think or what they would do if they found out he was with Jesus. He, he feared man rather than fearing God. His weakness was exposed. And so Jesus comes after he resurrects, and, and he goes and he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so he, he reinstates him. He restores him. He strengthens him. But then a little bit down the road, we see in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul confronts him once again. In Galatians 2.11, Paul's writing, and he says, when, when Cephas, which is another name for Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Paul says, hey, Peter was cool with eating with the Gentiles. He didn't care. He, didn't worry. he wasn't worried about being unclean because he knew that the gospel said that, that, that God had made them clean. But then when people from Jerusalem came, observant Jews, all of a sudden he pulled back and he said, no, nah, I can't eat with you guys anymore. Like, you know, I, I don't think it's right. And, and Paul confronted him and said, hey, the gospel says that, that we are one in Christ. And, and before those guys came, you were doing it this way, but now you're changing, right? He, he had this tendency towards people pleasing, and Peter was a great man of God and did amazing things. But he, but he had this struggle, and, and many of us will struggle with certain sins for a lot of our life and certain tendencies. Um, I, I know that uh, I struggle with being a people pleaser, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's something. I want people to like me. Um, I try not to offend people, uh, and, uh, but it's gotten me in trouble. Uh, there was a time right after college, I, I wasn't sure what I was doing. I ended up, uh, I was working at Ruby Tuesdays as a waiter, and I was like the best waiter in my waiter class, graduating class. I know, it's prestigious. Thank you. And um, thank you, thank you. Um, and they said, hey, uh, you're, you're one of the best. Uh, would you like to be a bartender? Because you'll make more money if you're a bartender than you will as a waiter. And I was like, Psh, I didn't get much thought. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be a bartender. And so, um, so you know, I was doing that, and I did make a lot more money that way. And uh, the guys that were the line cooks, like we would put uh, soda in styrofoam cups and send it back to them so they would, you know, it's hot back there and they'd have something to drink. And so there's this one guy who's kind of intimidating dude and he was kind of cool. And, and he's like, hey, Ezra, you know, throw a little Hennessy in there with mine, man. Like, uh, you know, uh, bump mine up a little bit. And um, without even really thinking much about it, I was like, I was like, all right, yeah, sure, man. And so I, so I did it. And so, um, and, and it kind of became a regular thing that he kind of expected. And, um, you know, uh, rather than taking the opportunity to say, hey, man, I like you. I think you're a cool dude, but that's dangerous. You're working with fire and sharp knives back there. And, and for you to get kind of a buzz on the line is probably not a good thing. And also, my integrity is on the line here. Like, this is, this is not right. I, that I, have, I answer to someone higher than you. I answer uh, to a guy named Jesus, right? I had that opportunity, and I just threw it away because I, I just wanted him to like me, right? Kids, learn from my mistake. Don't do what I do, right? Don't be a people pleaser. And I still, and I still struggle with that of, of saying, like, let my yes be yes and my no be no and, and not giving soft no's, but really like out of love telling people uh, the truth that they need to hear. That's something that I continue to, to struggle with. And so I'm preaching to myself here as much as anyone. But Jesus doesn't want us to be a people pleaser. He also doesn't want us to offend people without reason. You shouldn't do things just because someone wants you to expect or expects you to do it. And at the same time, just because they want or expect you to do it doesn't mean that on principle you shouldn't do it. Right? Some of us are like, I'm going to stick my hand in this fire, and just because you told me not to do it, I'm going to leave it in there. I'm going to stare you down the whole time, right? Like, he wants us to use wisdom 
He, he wants us to make the, the white, right and wise choices. He wants us to experience freedom. And that's the second point that I want you to see here. Uh, he wants Peter to know that the sons are free. It's this powerful statement that he makes. He says, the sons are free. And in doing that, first of all, he affirms once again that he is the son of God. He says, hey, do kings collect taxes from their sons or from other people? And Peter says, from other people. And he's like, yeah, you're right. The sons don't have to pay tax. Saying that God is the king and I'm his son. And so I don't have to pay the temple tax. That's, that's not required on me. I, uh, it's not an obligation that I live under. Even more than that, Jesus is the living temple. He's already predicted, hey, this stone temple that we have here, uh, every stone that sits atop of another is going to be destroyed. It's going to be knocked down. And it was one of the, the accusations they brought against him when they took him uh, and they tried him and they crucified him. They said, he said he's going to destroy the temple. Well, Jesus was just stating fact. In AD 70, the Romans came in and they destroyed it and they knocked that entire temple down. It was destroyed. So you guys have heard of this, uh, this phrase, uh, polishing the brass on the Titanic, right? <laughs> like when the Titanic hit the iceberg and it was going down, and yet there were still workers that were going around just like doing their job, like cleaning up, like polishing. And it's like, people, the boat is going down, right? Like in, in a few minutes, it's not going to matter whether that brass is shiny anymore or not. And so Jesus in, in, had full right to say like, hey, listen, uh, I don't really need to pay the temple tax because I am the temple. And in a few days, I'm going to be crucified and the veil is going to be torn and I'm going to be shown to be the perfect temple. And I'm going to be shown to be the great high priest. And I'm going to be shown to be the sinless sacrifice. And everything that this is a picture of, I'm going to show to be the reality of that. This is a dim reflection. I am the truth. And so he's, he, he had every right to say, no, I, I don't need to pay the temple tax. You know, to kind of bring it into a, to modern uh, terminology, listen, like if, you're, if you're a celebrity and you show up at the club, Right? If like one of the Philadelphia Eagles shows up at a club downtown, he doesn't have to wait in line with everybody else and pay the cover charge and, and show his ID. Right? Like he walks up and he says, yo, I'm with the Eagles. And they're like, come on in. Right? Like, uh, that, that he's free, which is kind of ironic because they're making a lot more than any of us. Right? But they don't have to pay, and we do. I don't know how that works. But, uh, but here's what happens. Not only does he go in, right, but he's got a whole squad with him. He's got his entourage, right? and they all get to go in for free as well. And so you'd look at this, and, and you could say, oh, man, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm free, and if you're in my entourage, you get to come in with me, and you don't have to pay either. But what he's saying is actually something way better than that. What he's saying is the sons are free. I'm a son of the king. But guess what, Peter? You're a son of the king too. <laughs> because of me, because of what I'm about to do, you're being adopted as a son into the kingdom. That if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, that you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. You're not just hired help. You're not just a servant. You're not just part of the entourage. You're in the family. And as such, the, the tax is not required of you either. And so we must learn to live in this way as well. Jesus says, my payment is sufficient for you and for me. It's for us. Uh, I've, I've been going through the book of James with a couple of different guys as part of my discipleship process. And, and um, this, this verse really struck me in James 1, in verse uh, 22. It says this, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. 
And here's what, it, here's what I want to zone in on. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so what James is saying here is he's saying, hey, when you go to God's Word and you read about it, you see a picture of who you're supposed to be and who you really truly are, your true identity. But if you walk away and you don't do what it says, you're like somebody who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty will be blessed. And so when we look to God's Word, it's not a law of restriction. It's not a law of limitation. It's not a law that says, don't do this and don't do this and here's the, stay inside this box. But it's really when we really come to understand the gospel, the gospel is the gospel of freedom. The gospel says you are free. Now what are you going to do with your freedom? How are you going to use that freedom that you've been given? Are you prepared to own your true identity and live in freedom as a son or daughter of God? Man, that's a huge challenge. Uh, I've got a clip that I want to show you here uh, from one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, the Lego movie. How many of you guys have seen the Lego movie, right? If not, you're in for a treat, okay? Let me set it up a little bit. There's this real average guy, Emmett. He's the most average guy in the whole world. He always follows the instructions. He always does whatever he's told. And suddenly this, he becomes the special, and he's told that he has to live in freedom and, and become a master builder and create without instructions. And so he ends up with this whole group of master builders, um, and, and he's trying to learn how to become one. And, and, and anyways, the, the enemy comes in and tries to capture them. And so what we're going to see here is a scene where they're trying to escape. And crank up the volume on this. I want people to feel it, you know. I want to feel it in their chest. Um, but let's take a look at this scene, and then we'll, then we'll unpack it. Build a spaceship anyway, that's cool. Well, where can we go where we can't be found? Maybe we could go underwater. What if we went underwater? Great idea, babe. Thank you, Batman. Your ideas are the best. But hey, I just said that. We could build a submarine. A bat submarine patent pending. With the rainbows. And dream catchers in case we take a nap. Like an underwater spaceship. But you can't build all of them at once. Ready? Ready? Break. Break. Okay. These are the colors I need. Blue raspberry and sour apple. If anybody has black parts, I need them, okay? I only work in black. And sometimes very, very dark gray. Use the yellow bricks. You guys, can I help? Oh, it has to be this way. No, I need that. Where is he? Anyone know what this is and do you need it? I think we could use wings, rocket boosters. Dude, get your retro space stuff out of my area. You guys, hey, just tell me exactly what to do and how to do it. Emmett, don't worry about what the others are doing. You must embrace what is special about you. Awesome. So, um, you, you should go home and watch that. It's a great movie. The Master Builders, if you see what happens, like all of a sudden they're like, we need to build a submarine. And Batman's like, we should have a bat submarine. <laughs> and, and um, uh, oh man, I'm losing his name. What's the guy from the Lord of the Rings? Help me. Gandalf is like, I want one with a dream catcher, right? And, and Unikitty wants one with rainbows and everybody wants it. And so they have freedom, but they all use it to do their own thing, Right? And what they're doing doesn't really correlate or relate to each other. And meanwhile, Emmett is there is like, okay, guys, uh, just tell me what to do and exactly how to do it. <laughs> like, he doesn't understand freedom at all. And, and sadly, uh, this is a metaphor for the church a lot of times, right? This is, we experience, hey, we have freedom in Christ. And so there's a lot of people like, oh, I'm free. All right, I'm going to start building my own little thing. I only want black and very dark gray. And I want to, right? And we want our own structure that in no way unites with the rest of the church or is usable by anybody else. 
And then there's other people that say, hey, I, I, we have freedom. Okay, just tell me exactly what to do and how to do it. <laughs> but, but true freedom in Christ means owning it, being proactive, saying, Lord, you've given me. What skills do I have? What talents? What am I called to do? How can I bless the kingdom? How can I make disciples? How can I do these things? Uh, you have this chart up here. If you've been at Riverside for a little while, you've seen that. If, if not, you'll see it soon. But this is part of our discipleship process, and it comes from a book called Discipleship. Um, and... Um, in it, we see this kind of life cycle of, of a follower of Jesus, and they begin as an infant. They don't know what they don't know, and then they grow to a child phase where they're kind of self-centered, and then they become a young adult where they're becoming a little bit more service-oriented. But ultimately, maturity means to be strategic and intentional in what you do. It's the proactive stage. It's the stage that looks around and says, where is their need? How can I help? Okay, what's going on in this person's life? What do they need to take that next step in following Christ and become an obedient follower of Jesus? That, that there's a real intentionality, that they're using their freedom for God's glory. The other phases are very, they're still very reactive. Okay, what does the Bible say I shouldn't do? Okay, I'll stop doing that. What does it say? Okay, I need to do that. Or, or, or you know, okay, what's the need? Okay, tell me exactly what I need to do and I'll go do it. And, and those are good. We got to work through those phases. But ultimately, the goal for all of us is to move to a place of freedom where we're saying, I'm here to help. I'm going to identify a need and I'm going to go meet it. I'm going to, I'm going to find some way to use what God has given me to help other people to walk more closely with him. That's the goal for all of us. Does that describe your Christian life? <laughs> and if not, what is robbing you of that freedom? Typically, there's two, two things that really easily rob us that. One is people's expectations, right? We've already, already dealt with that in the people-pleasing uh, realm. The other one is a lack of resources. We say, man, I'd love to do that, but, but I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Uh, I, don't, I don't have the, the skills. I don't have... Uh, you know, I, I'm just lacking in resources. I don't have, if I had the resources I need, I could do that. But, but the third thing that Jesus shows Peter here is that the resources of Jesus are unlimited. The resources of Jesus are unlimited. Think about this. You've heard of people like putting money in a mattress or digging it in their backyard. Jesus had a shekel stored in the mouth of a fish in the sea for just the right moment when he would need it, Right? That's resourceful. And, and, my, and my research showed that there's this, this fish in that region. It's called a tilapia. And I don't know if it's the same one you can buy at Aldi Frozen. It's just delicious, and I love those, right? But I don't know if it's that same exact fish, but uh, they're what they call mouth breeders. And they actually, they would lay their eggs, and then they scoop the eggs up in their mouth, and they kind of walk around. They, they swim around with these eggs in their mouth, and so they have these deep cavities in their mouth where they're able to hold the eggs. And so it's very conceivable that it was a tilapia with a coin in its mouth. And here's the crazy thing. A shekel is equal to four drachmas. So it was the exact amount that Peter needed to pay the tax for himself and for Jesus. See, the, the resources of Jesus are unlimited. And, um, but here's the thing. Sometimes we wait around for the Hail Mary. We're like, man, I know, I know Jesus is unlimited, so I'm just going to drive the tank until it's on empty, and then I'm gonna just going to trust that he's going to put something in it, right? Like, and sometimes he does that, and that's amazing when he does that. But, but sometimes the resources of Jesus look like, like a good job or a sharp mind or opportunities or, or, or a solid support system. These are resources that Jesus gives to us, and here's the ultimate freedom when he gives to you so that you can give to somebody else. <laughs> you can become the hands and feet of Jesus, or in this reference, the tilapia with your mouth open, right? <laughs> and you can say, man, God has blessed me financially or, in, or with time or in, special, in such a way that I can go to somebody who's in desperate need and say, hey, Jesus had me prepare this for you because his resources are unlimited. 
man, you should be encouraged with that. And, and as we talked about church planting, man, we're going to be, you know, in, in, in uh, next year we're looking to, to plant a church, and that is going to be an exercise in faith and believing that Jesus' resources are unlimited. Because there's going to be times where the resources aren't there, but the need is there, and the call is there, and the leading is there, and that we're going to have to trust that, Jesus, you are going to provide the right resource at the right time when, when, when it's needed. And some of you may be the answer to that prayer. <laughs> you may feel led at a moment of, of need to be the resource that God wants to use. And I'm going to tell you you're a tilapia, and you'll know exactly what I mean when I say that. In conclusion, I just want you to see that our sin requires a debt from us that we're obligated to pay. Just like that tax that they had to pay, our sin indebts us, and we owe it, rightfully. Jesus was the only sinless son of God who didn't know the tax. He was under no obligation, but he used his freedom in an overflow of mercy and love and compassion to pay the debt for us. But it's not just that our debt is paid, it's that we are, beyond that, we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. He adopts us into the family and say, hey, I paid the price for you and I adopted you in, and now you don't owe, you're not indebted anymore either because you're part of, the, you're a son or a daughter of the king. We now have access to his limitless resources of love, mercy, compassion, freedom to use for his glory. That's the good news of the gospel.